Our gospel lesson for today is from Mark, the ninth chapter, verses 38 through 50. Listen now for God's words to you. John said, Teacher, we saw a man using your name to force demons out of people, but he wasn't one of us, and we told him to stop. Jesus said to his disciples, Don't stop him. No one who works miracles in my name will soon turn and say something bad about me. Anyone who isn't against us is for us. And anyone who gives you a cup of, of water in my name just because you belong to me will surely be rewarded. It will be terrible for people who cause even one of my little ones to sin. Those people would be better off thrown into the ocean with a heavy stone tied around their necks. So if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. You would be better off to go into life crippled than to have two hands and be thrown into the fires of hell that never go out. If your foot causes you to sin, chop it off. It would be better to go into life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. If your eye causes you to sin, get rid of it. You would be better off going into God's kingdom with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. The worms there never die and the fire never stops burning. Everyone must be salted with fire. Salt's good, but if it no longer tastes like salt, how can it be made salty again? Have salt among yourselves and live at peace with each other. The word of the Lord. James says we're supposed to tell each other the truth. So here goes. In spite of all my tough talk, I am not very good at confronting people. I'm not very good at condemning people. Even when it's fairly obvious they need a little confronting and they need a little condemning. I just don't do that very well. My personality is such that I... I don't know what it is. I just like to appeal to people's better natures, to encourage rather than criticize. And I know that means some days I'm not tough enough on people who need to be corrected and admonished. Okay, there you have it. That's one of my faults. The problem is, is then I get frustrated because of this fault, and in private, usually in front of my family, I explode, which does none of them any good and doesn't do me any good either. You see, with a personality like mine, it's kind of hard to be critical. It's just who God made me to be. It's hard to know when I'm supposed to draw the line and criticize even when criticism is justified and when it isn't. I don't do it very well. But Jesus never has that problem. Was there anybody who was ever more loving, caring, more generous with his time and reaching out to people than Jesus? No. And especially to the poor, to the openly sinful, to those whose societies reckoned as having no worth, Jesus was always reaching out to them. You see it in the opening lines of today's text. John comes running up to Jesus and he says, we saw this uncredentialed healer doing spectacular things in your name and he's not one of us and we told him to quit it. You heard that, right? He's not one of us. But 
Jesus, this great, good old, open-minded Jesus says, hey, if he's not doing any harm, maybe he's doing some good. If he's not against us, he may be for us. But that's not the way religious folk want to behave, is it? That's not the way we do. We ask, what seminary did he go to? Did he pass these standard ordination exams? Where is he on Reformed theology and ecclesiology and polity? We can't just let anybody proclaim the good news about Jesus. They need to be licensed and credentialed and ordained and good standing with the presbytery. Right? But that's not what Jesus says in Mark's Gospel. We rarely see Jesus in Mark's Gospel being so inclusive. He is affirming, he's accepted, he's broad-minded, he's freedom-loving, he's choice-giving. He's willing to work with whoever comes to him. Our tendency is to react like the disciples, but, but Jesus, he's not one of us. Aren't there limits to how far we're supposed to include those who sort of act like they're Christian but maybe sort of aren't? Jesus is way, way more affirming than we would be. If He's not against us, He must be for us. Leave Him alone. Now, depending on your point of view, you may like this. Or you may have trouble with the way Jesus responds. But I tell you what, you're not going to like what comes next. Because here's Jesus, this embracing, accepting Savior of the world who is open and affirming to the stranger who comes, who's willing to acknowledge even people who seem to stand outside the disciples. And in the next breath, Jesus speaks words of harsh judgment upon who? Upon His closest followers, His disciples. Jesus becomes the demanding Savior. If you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to be in the inner circle of disciples, it requires a very high standard of accountability. Jesus turns to the disciples, the insiders, and refusing to get further involved in this conversation about the unlicensed healer, He says, and as for you, you as disciples, as for you, if you cause one of the little ones to stumble, it would be better if your arm was hacked off, if your foot was amputated, and if you pulled out your eye. Whoa, where'd that come from? That doesn't sound like Jesus, does it? That's not what we expect. Mild, easygoing Jesus. Could it be that all this ties back to the disciples forgetting what their purpose is? You think? This is not a mild criticism from Jesus. This is not a slap on the wrist and words now go and behave a little better. It's a harsh judgment. To understand these verses in Mark, I think you have to go back and pick up where we were last week because there's a sort of a continuum here. And unless you see it, you don't understand how Jesus got to this point. 
Last week, Jesus is trying to tell the disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, he must be betrayed and killed, and three days later he will rise. And what are the disciples doing? They're arguing about who's going to be the greatest, and they're not even bothering to listen to him. And when he asks them, what are you arguing about, they won't tell him. Jesus then explains, patiently I'm sure, that if they want to be servants, they must also receive the little child. And in the Greek, this little child can mean a real little child or it can mean a new person in the faith. Either one of those is acceptable. And if you receive the child, you receive Jesus. And they're still not listening. And so the disciples, and in this case specifically John, hard on the heels of this, runs up to Jesus and said, we saw this guy out there healing and we told him to quit it because he's not one of us. And Jesus has had it. And that's the response we get. Leave the man alone. If he's not against us, he's for us. And then Jesus begins to tell the disciples that judgment really stands far closer to them than it does to the uncredentialed man. Now understand, Jesus is speaking hyperbole here. He's not really telling anybody to cut off a hand or a foot or yank out an eye. That's not what this is about. What it is about is getting disciples' attention. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and you won't shut up and listen. You'll listen to this. And so he says these things and you can bet they listened. Your job, Jesus implies, is to teach the child, the young person in faith, what it means to follow Jesus and quit worrying about either who's number one or who's in and who's out. And then Jesus gives them a little bit more. Furthermore, it's better to grope around in the future without a hand, a foot, or an eye than to end up in, and the text I read for you said hell, but the real word is Gehenna. Now, I understand Shane actually did a little bit with this a few weeks ago, I think while I was away. What is Gehenna? Well, it can be translated as hell. But what it really is, is a valley outside of Jerusalem called Hinnon. And it is the place where in Israel's dark prehistory, those who worshipped Moloch offered their children as sacrifices. In Jesus' day, Gehenna is the town dump. It's the place where you put the refuse. It's the place where the remains of animals who are slaughtered to be eaten or sacrificed are dumped and allowed to rot. It's the place where criminals who have been executed are left, exposed to the carrion birds and wild animals. You understand why some translations make it Hell? Sounds a little bit like hell to me. 
But if you understand that in the best sense, when the New Testament talks about hell, it's talking about what we are doing to ourselves that separates us from this God who loves us and wants something better for us. Being a stumbling block to little ones, whether it's small children or whether it's new people in faith, through our petty bickering on who's the most important is creating our own little Gehenna, our own little slice of hell. We're so busy sometimes making judgments about the life and morals of everybody else <laughs> that we become a stumbling block to the somebody else's. Every so often, somebody will ask me, and they usually ask it about a specific group, but they'll say in words like this, well, do you think those who don't believe in Jesus are ever going to be saved? That's a touchy thing, right? And when I give the response I'm fixing to give, people say, well, you're being wishy-washy. Well, I don't think so. I think it's the only honest response I know how to make. And the response is, that's God's business. My business and your business is to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And you leave the rest of it up to God because we don't get to decide. Jesus himself says, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who do the will of my Father. Jesus is a lot, a lot harsher on us disciples than he ever is on those who stand outside struggling to find a way to believe. We want judgment to begin with the outsiders, the undisciplined, the uninformed, those who are not one of us. And Jesus is embarrassingly accepting of those and puts the judgment right back on me and on you. young man came to see his pastor. He was having a pretty good case of the guilts because he had been brought up to do this differently, but he and his girlfriend were living together, not to put it too fine a point on it. And he was feeling guilty enough, he felt like he needed to come and talk to the minister. And so they sit down and the minister tries to help him sort through not only his feelings but his guilt and talks to him about making good decisions. And when the young man gets up to leave, he walks to the door and he says back to the minister, what makes you think I can't be a Christian? And the minister said, what? That's not what I said. And the young man said, that's what you assume. You assume I can't be a Christian because of the way I am. I might just surprise you. And the minister said, I felt like coals of fire heaped on my head. Where had I made the mistake? We're forever wanting accountability, responsibility, judgment to apply to somebody besides us. Jesus says, I've called you to be my disciples and there's a high standard. If you don't like it, get over it because that's the way it is.
That's the expectation for disciples. And some days I look back over my ministry, its ups and its downs, and my life, and maybe you do too, and I can almost smell the fire of Gehenna. You know, of course, that in spite of all his tough talk, Jesus never ripped off anybody's foot or cut off a hand or plucked out an eye. Even though many of us misleaders of the little ones probably deserve a little punishment. No, ripping into hands and feet is what we did to Jesus. He who loved the little ones and put them at the center of his life and his kingdom took the judgment that belongs to us on himself. And he did it at a place called, we call it what, Calvary? And where was it? It was standing overlooking Gehenna, overlooking the garbage dump. You see why Jesus makes these references? You see why he makes this connection? Had it not been for Joseph of Arimathea, Jesus would have ended up in the garbage dump. That's where crucified people got put. And so there he hangs with pierced hands and feet, wanting us to reach out more fully to those who don't yet know. And he says, in spite of what you've done, I still forgive you. You see, for all Jesus' tough talk, it's Jesus who pays the penalty to set us free. And his sacrifice turns Gehenna from a horrid place of judgment into the opening of the kingdom of God. It's not as bad news as you thought it was, is it? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.